did how do you even make friends as an adult are, are we adults we'll fact check that later <laughs> hey everybody welcome back i'm amy and i'm here with the lovely rachel and we are talking about making friends as adults which we are doing by randomly pulling things out of a jar for your personal entertainment if you have an answer to one of these questions drop it below we want to hear um sort of your answers to these too if you have a question that you want to ask us or something that you want us to sort of discuss or talk about you can drop that in the comments below or shoot us an email i will make sure to put those in the podcast uh sort of notes in on the youtube channel so Rachel, are you ready? As, as ready as I usually am. <laughs> there. Um, oh, I feel very um, not prepared for this one. I have a favorite quote. Mm, ooh. Uh, I feel like we, I feel like we should like take this one and put it aside and make sure that we have like the information. <laughs> yeah, like... I don't know. I don't know. Do you automatically have oh, yeah, something? I have because two. I, your brain is like, keeps the information and like, I'm like, I'm sure somebody said something about <laughs> this thing. Here, I, I have, I have two. Let's see if they jog your memory. Okay. So the first one that I have is by Mindy Kaling, which is an unexpected source for wisdom for me. Um, I read her kind of autobiography thing and she has a quote in there that says, know your shit, then show your shit. And coming into my area, like I work with a lot of dietitians, like I try and collaborate and network as much as possible, but there are a couple of people, um, who just all the time they're on there saying, you know, I went to school for this many years to be able to tell you this many things and like, don't listen to anybody who's not me. Um, and so sort of getting to the top of my field in an environment that felt, felt really toxic. Like I did my training, I did my research. I take the same certification courses that they take. I know where my lane is and I do not leave that lane. Um, it was almost like a little personal flotation device for me, sort of lying around being like, ignore kind of those people. Like I know my shit. My job is to show my shit. Like I learned it. I did all this work. My job is just to let it out. Um, and sort of in building friendships and network connections in the community had so many dietitians say like, well, we looked up all your stuff and we've never found anything to be incorrect. So like, we welcome you here, which is not true for everyone kind of who comes in my way. Um, so that one, I definitely hold really true too. And then the second one is by Dr. Seuss, which is again, a really love Dr. Seuss. I know we had a whole thing with him, but like, right? Um, but Dr. Seuss once said, um, you have to be odd to be number one. And that really resonates with me because I'm a bit of a weirdo. I wave my weird flag. Um, and it gets really isolating sometimes because I don't like to do things the mainstream way. I kind of just like, you know, I like to skip around a bit. I like to be a little bit creative with how I approach things. And that works for me. Um, you know, not everybody's willing to get their nerd on around random stuff. If you ask me a question, I guarantee there has been like eight hours of just me rabbit holing in research papers <laughs> before I answer you back. I'm having the time of my life. Um, but like growing up kind of, like I said, in our last episode, growing up kind of as like the special ed kid, like the kid who can't read, the kid who's now years behind, like there was a lot of bullying and othering and things like that that I went through. And so kind of coming into a space and really owning that and kind of taking it and being like, no, like if I'm going to be the best, 
this is probably the thing that sets me apart. Um, and so I had it like in a little frame on my desk for when I was like feeling discouraged, just be like, Hey, like you, you gotta be odd to be number one. Um, very much taken to heart, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so growing up, my grandfather used to say, um, don't judge others by yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I do really like that because I appreciate the, um, he used to say it in spaces where people were maybe kind of thinking the worst or thinking a judgmental thing. And essentially like, don't assume that the person that we're talking about thinks that just because your go-to would be a judgmental thought or like Mm -hmm. an unkind thing. Mm -hmm. But as an adult who has kind of released, um, some of the very, uh, good and evil, good or bad of the traumatizing church space um, to really just also remember um, that just because you, whatever, fill in the blank, doesn't mean that everybody else does. And so uh, that being very literally anything, just because you would feel this way here, don't Mm. assume somebody else is feeling this way here, just because you see this thing as bigger or harder or better, better, whatever, doesn't mean everybody does, Mm. you know? And so I think that, um, that's one that I'm finding more and more nuances with constantly, um, Mm. as I get older, And then, uh, what, (laughs) here's the thing. Part of the problem is I could probably quote something from a thousand like musical theater lyrics. And I was the Baker's wife and into the woods when I was in high school. And, um, you know, there, there are some very, I think, intense lyrics in that, that I definitely enjoy and believe as an adult, but, um, in uh, Sunday in the Park with George, there's a song called Move On. Or, yes. And um, the, the female lead is basically asking the male lead if he's making anything new, like if he's creating anything new. And he said, um, no, I, I don't have anything to say um, that hasn't been said. And she says, said by you. And, um, like the whole song essentially is, uh, (laughs) there's one part where she says, um, uh, like essentially create the thing and let others decide about the thing because they usually do anyway. And so, um, I really enjoy that. And from the same show, there's another song essentially about creating and that I could pull a thousand quotes from that too, that I think really speak to my, my personal life and not being afraid to just make something and put it out there and like, let the world choose if it's for them or not, you know? So, um, when I finally, sometime when I look it up, I will, I will bring a better one in, but that's what I've got for now. (laughs) Brain check. (laughs) Yeah. What is the scariest animal? Hmm. I don't know why that's all animals are scary. They could literally do anything at any time. Scariest animal is people. <laughs> Amen. 
I don't know. Um, I feel like anything that slithers is a hard no for me. <laughs> well, actually, here's a here's a funny story. One time when my husband and I were at a resort in Jamaica, we is it the first or second time that we had ever been there, mm-hmm. and he was like getting his shoes on and I was ready to go. So I was outside and it looked like somebody's bathing suit had like fallen. There was like a, there was like a wall around it, like a little half wall. It looked like somebody's bathing suit had like just toppled down. And I was like, Oh, like, I'll just put that back for them. Like no problem. Um, and so I was like an inch from this thing and a little pincer. Well, not little giant, giant pincers came up. It was a giant crab. It was like the size of a dinner plate. No, I don't um, care for that. Did I get, so I, shrieked so loud that not only did Eric come running out some dude who was in the shower came out in a towel going ma'am are you okay ma'am are you okay it turned out that <laughs> clearly he I'm blind. not <laughs> he he was blind though like I don't even know what he was gonna do but I shrieked like a blood curdling shriek so he came running out in a towel being like do you need assistance <laughs> I had no idea that he was blind we found out the next day um but like, like Eric saw it, he was like, oh, it's okay. It's just a crab. And then he was like, oh my God, is it in my room? And we were like, I don't know. Like, it's clearly going that way. And then I found out the next day that he was blind. <laughs> it's like, oh shit. I should have been way more clear about yeah. that. If we, um, <laughs> you definitely needed more information than I was giving you then. Yeah. Yes, so, fair. and then Eric didn't believe me when I was like, this thing is the size of a dinner plate. He did not believe me. He was like, you were like, it was dark. You didn't see it right. Like, don't worry. Like we ended up bringing a flashlight every other time we went, we call it our crab flashlight. <laughs> we use it religiously. Um, but like, it was like two or three days later, we saw the crab walking up the road. Like it was just like cruising on the sidewalk. It was the size of a dinner plate. <laughs> like Eric lost his mind. I also didn't know at the time that crabs walk sideways, which is a hard no for me. No, I, I, I don't care for that. <laughs> no, I don't care for that. Um, no, I don't. So I would say that that is like the, that is like not, that is not a, a sell for me. <laughs> like, no, like I even saw, like, I've been like three or four feet away from a bear and that was less terrifying to me than almost touching a crab. <laughs> bears, bears don't bother me either. Um, and I think it's because they grew up in the environment that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So from the tiniest size that I was, I was raised to know what to do around right. things that are like in upstate New York. Like if you see this kind of snake X, Y, Z, if you yeah. see this kind of animal X, Y, Z, I would say to me, the scariest animals are, I am somewhere that's not my normal environment and I don't know how to like, what is my first defense thing to do mm-hmm. in this case that I'm now a part of or animals that are going to surprise me? So oh, like yeah. a scorpion, uh, we had a kid, uh, that had, uh, you know, we, I grew up where there are like bobcats and mountain lions and things like that. And at the bus stop, uh, one of the children at my school had, like a mountain lion jump on them. Like you don't even know they're there, you know? And then like, and then suddenly they're there. So I would say anything that like, it knows I'm there, but I don't know it's there. I'm not okay with that. Like, if I know that you're there, we, I won't bother you. Like we can all just exist. Like you be there and I'll be here and everything will be fine. So like being in an environment where there are lots of alligators, like, I don't care for that. Um, 
I know sharks get like a bad rap. They're not like what everybody claims they are, but I would say that like, I don't want anything touching me in the water, which is why I like being in Jamaica, the Caribbean, because you can see every effing thing that's like not two true. miles away from you. Not like, true. but I'm saying like where I, you know, I mean, your lakes and stuff are probably a lot like some of our lakes where I grew up. Like you, you walk in, you're, you're two inches in and you're like, I can't see a freaking thing. Yeah. Like, so I worry about fish bugs. <laughs> much, right. I don't want something touching me in an environment that's not my own. The water is not, mm-hmm. you live there and I don't live there. You already have some sort of advantage over me being here. That makes me worried. But I think I'm just in general, very hyper aware that animals are animals. Whereas I think a lot of white women are not aware that animals are animals. And so like, yeah. like, I all, I wholeheartedly believe there's not one creature on this earth that thinks I'm its friend. So like, you haven't met schnitzel yet though. I don't, that's true. But <laughs> schnitzel could make friends with like a doorknob. <laughs> but like, I am not under the impression that that raccoon won't murder me if it thought it had an opportunity, that that opossum is not going to kill me in my sleep if it had an opportunity. Like, I'm not accidentally oopsieing that all of these things are not animals. So I would say given an opportunity, I probably think any animal is dangerous. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's not a bad way. They all make me nervous. They all make me nervous. I feel like that's not inappropriate to have like a certain level of like, like even with pets, like I, like my pets are domesticated. They're still animals. Correct. Like they do their own thing. Like just because they listen to me most of the time does not mean that they're going to listen to me when they don't feel like it. Correct. Like they can still bite. Like they still have teeth. They still have opinions. Like they still have opinions. Right. Just because they they feel like you know they want to go along with it most time. Like they're like, oh, like is there a carrot in it? Because then I'll come for you. Like, but like I'm telling you, like our dogs in particular, like we can't take them off leash because if there's something they want, like there's nothing I can do about it. Like they're so opinionated. Like we've done all the freaking training. They were like, honestly, just don't take them off the leash. <laughs> like very independent um one good decision I only got one that you have made frenzies I'm like at least I don't have I'm you're like I only get one and I'm like I thank god I only have to come up with one thing that I did the right thing. <laughs> what was the question again um one good decision right there we go hmm Nope, that's not true. I can think of more than one. Okay, I've done more than I'm, one I thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think generally speaking, there's there are lots of times in my life that I would say I'm more a cautionary tale <laughs> than like what you should do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say when I was a freshman in college, I chose the wrong college because of the wrong reasons. And, um, the only good decision part of that was that I said yes to my air force ROTC scholarship. That was the perfect attachment for me to be in. It was the absolute, exactly right. Um, group of officers that I needed in particular, uh, there at the time I had one, uh, person who, (laughs) 
I, I will call him Major Myers from now until I die, but he definitely did not retire. <laughs> Major, he definitely like now when I think back to like, um, I'm older than he was when he like, and he was like such an adult. Um, yeah. but, uh, I love him so much. He was like one of the biggest encouragements in my, in my whole like formidable growing up time, but my going into my sophomore year, I chose to, um, transfer schools from the school that I was in a a master's of physical therapy um, program, which I killed myself to get into. So deciding to leave, even though I basically had fucked up the whole first year was a pretty big decision. And then, um, and I transferred to the school I was doing Air Force ROTC at, and I auditioned for their musical theater program. And I had done everything wrong my freshman year. I had not, I had really not done one thing right. And I was, I was on academic probation. My scholarship had been put on probation. I had to earn it back. Um, And when I got there, it reminded me of all of the ways that I love to work really hard. Like I had always been a really hard worker growing up. I'd always been smart, um, but not smart inherently smart because I worked hard and I cared. Um, but it was a real, I needed that semester of a reminder that I wasn't stupid, Mm -hmm. that I wasn't a fuck up, that I wasn't worthless, that I wasn't, you know, lazy, Um, it was just, I was somewhere I shouldn't have been. And it was a really, um, now looking back at it, one of my first big moments of really seeing like, when you love something, when you care about something, it doesn't feel like work, even though it is so much more hard work than like, I did more hard work that semester being a musical theater major than anybody in pre-med program was doing, you know, um, like it, it's a lot of time and a lot of effort. And I like even the shitty stuff about it. Um, except some of the people, sometimes the people are shitty and I don't like that. Um, but that was a really good decision to do that. Um, even though it was a really hard decision. And then, um, I think deciding to do my master's at, like a time where there was no reason for me to do my master's where I wasn't really necessarily going to get something out of doing it. It wasn't like it was going to make me, you know, go to the next part of my career or something like that. Um, I had actually done a majority of my master's in the exact same thing I got in my undergrad program done immediately upon finishing my bachelor's degree. And I got, I got like a little over two thirds of the way through. And I was like, I don't care about this. Mm. And, um, and I was like, I'm going to be done now. (laughs) Um, And so I was, and that was a good decision too, because to have wasted getting that, I would never have gotten a second master's. So like I needed to not do that because the master's that I got, I care so much about, and I love everything about it. And it's so interesting to me and people didn't understand why I was doing it. And I remember um, having, well, I had to write an essay to get in and I had to do an interview to get in. And then, um, and I remember interviewing and them asking me why I wanted to do that. And I said to the person, um, 
because when I first went to school out of high school, I was in a master's program immediately. I wasn't in a bachelor's program and I did so badly my, my first year that I thought that I was stupid and worthless and getting my bachelor's felt like literally the least I could do for my parents. Cause I promised them I would. Um, but it didn't, it didn't feel um, like an accomplishment. Like I couldn't feel the accomplishment because I still was living in this. I was just a big screw up. And I said, um, I want my master's because I want it. Is that a good enough reason? And she was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the same, like with, with the PhD, like, like being illiterate until grade four was terrifying and just people had no expectations for me. Um, and so I feel like most of the reason, and this could be really selfish. Most of the reason I want a PhD is so I can go back to those people in my life and say, like, you need to call me doctor. Actually it's doctor. Um, and I feel like that, you know, like while there's work that comes with it and things that are really important to me, it's the same thing. If they ask me, it's going to be the story of how I was an illiterate kid who got bullied and I have things that I want to learn. And I want to have that for myself that I pulled through everything. I was the top of my class everywhere and I will get a PhD and you will call me doctor. Yeah. That will, that will be on my gravestone is like, you know what? Fuck all of you. <laughs> like Set that bar real high. Yes. Yeah. Also, it always pisses me off for you because if you had had my parents in school, like if my dad had been your high school guidance counselor, if my mom had been your third grade teacher, you're, you would have had such a totally different experience. Well, and like, like the problem was that I was like my home life, like we found out recently that I was diagnosed with complex PTSD. Like the reason I couldn't read is because my brain wasn't functioning because of all the abuse that I was encountering. And so like, if I had had anybody's parents other than my parents, that probably never would have happened because when I got my brain to function again, I was the top of every class in every subject. Like there was no one above me everywhere. Like, so having a PhD is really, I feel like reclaiming a lot of that for myself being like, Hey, like, yeah, the first 20 years of your life were really fucking shitty. And like, now we're here. And it's like my roles and I'm an independent adult and I'm going to choose what happens. And like, I, like, it doesn't like five years of school sounds fantastic to me. I love school. Like, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, like it's such a time commitment. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, five years back in school. Like maybe I'll get two PhDs. <laughs> like, what if I just never left school ever again? Like it's my happy place. <laughs> I love that for you. Cause I hate school. I love it so like it's the place in my life where I thrive the most because I can learn like the the way I picked up school was because I was in special ed everybody let me learn things by myself so I was like a 10 class but then I got the special ed classes where I could just teach myself so when I got to university everyone fell apart (laughs) and I thrived and so like I can't wait for my PhD because not only do I get to pick like not only do I get to learn on my own I also get to pick what I'm learning and I can just rabbit hole for a living. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that that's amazing. And like, there are so many things that I want to know, like I want to study PTSD and the impact that it has on the physical body. Like I work with IBS right now, but like, I want to know like what is actually happening in our bodies. And so again, I feel like when they ask, I get to have this story of like, this has ruined most of my life. I'm here to study it. Like I have a vested interest in this. Like, I want to, I want to know this for myself. Yes. Um, because like, 
I've heard that one of the things that they pick is like who is least likely to drop out. Like if we're investing all this time and education and money in this person, um, who is actually going to see this through and be successful when they do their like thesis. And I feel like coming in, having this history and having this drive of like, no one will tell me I can't have this. Like I will apply a hundred times to this program. If I have to, I will start this program when I'm 80. Mm-hmm. If I have to, I will just apply every year um, because it will see it through no matter what, if that makes sense. It totally does. And I believe that about you. Like there's, there's absolutely no way, but also I personally think if they don't take you there, they're not as smart as they pretend they are. Um, take me, I'll go somewhere else. But right. Exactly. I'm going to get it. Like it doesn't matter. But, you know, I want to go back and I want to get my doctorate. I don't want to go back. I just finished my master's a few years ago, but like, I want to get my doctorate. The thing that bothers me about school is the game of it all. And so like, I really struggle with, um, professors that want to make sure you, they know that they're smarter than you. And I've had, I've had an encounter with a lot of them in my particular field because it's dealing with athletes Mm -hmm. and they do not care for the fact that I apply the science Mm -hmm. to something that is not their wheelhouse. Yeah. And they don't like not understanding and knowing the thing. And so sometimes they'll come back to give me feedback, but because they don't understand, like, it would be like somebody being like, I've never, I've never heard of baseball and I've never seen somebody swing a bat. What would that look like? And then you writing a paper on it and the person who's never heard of baseball or seen somebody swing a bat be like, you don't use that muscle in your body to swing a bat. Like that's the stuff that I have people coming back at me about because Mm -hmm. the science hasn't been applied in my, in the space that I'm applying it in the way that I want to apply it. There's not research to use. So I have to be like, Mm -hmm. this is like this, you're using the same thing. It's the same movement. And they're like, no, it's not. And I'm like, have you ever moved that way? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and so there's a little bit of arguing that you know, like annoys me. And I have such a complex of like, they're the adult and I'm the child because they're the teacher. And I'm like, I'm four years older than you. And you don't know what you're talking about. You know? And so like, I think this is probably the perfect time for me to do that because I would just be like, it doesn't actually matter if you find this important or interesting. Like I find it important and interesting. And so like the fact that you're going to be doing the research Mm -hmm. and you're going to be the one like finding out the information. Yeah. Like you're going to find out things nobody's found out the thing about before. So Mm -hmm. nobody can be like, that's not it. And you're like, the science experiment said it was. It's literally experimental psychology. Right. So like, amazing. (laughs) that feels like it will be a different space than somebody being like, no research supports that. And I'm like, I know that's the the problem. (laughs) I'm making it for you right now. It's not done yet. (laughs) I'm trying to tell you that. And so like, but also because, um, because you have had to think outside of the way, if I hit my hand in my ring on this desk, any schnitzel's not here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Time. Right. <laughs> no medical puppy emergencies. Um, but like, 
because you've already had to apply things in ways other people in that field don't apply the things mm-hmm. you have such a creative mind space that a lot of you would think people in sciences would be more creative than many mm-hmm. of them are yeah. but like you are not a black and white thinker so yeah. you have such an advantage over people that are like there can't be any gray area and you're like it's all gray area <laughs> yeah, no, it's gray it's all colors why do you not see the colors what is what is up with you <laughs> what <laughs> so it's kind of going to be awesome and I'm very excited to see it happen yeah um best decision I would say for me the best decision was how I picked my practicum so to because I was in an honors program so we did five years of school in four years so like every year I had summer school like it was a whole thing um and that was to clear the fourth year for us to just do like a free internship well actually I had to pay to go to do the for free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, cool. You're um, welcome. <laughs> right. So in year two, I had learned like basic sign language. Um, and it's because a friend took it. She said that I was going to love it. Um, so I took it, fell in love, mastered it in like one minute enough that I like went and got a job six months later in a, in a deaf senior home. Um, and so I ended up doing the practicum there and I met this woman, her name was Marinka she was just the light of my life for a whole year. Things at home were so shitty, like going there felt like an escape. And she felt like the first time I had ever kind of like filled that role of one of my parents externally. I didn't know you could do that. (laughs) Like what? Mm -hmm. And she had a lot of health issues and she ended up getting sick for several months, um, during the time. And she just handed the program to me. And I went in, like, I am a December baby. So I'm a year early for everything. So I'm there, I'm like barely 19 years old, running this entire program by myself. There were like volunteers coming in. There were other people doing practicums. Like the whole program had to be run and developed. Like I was creating my own programs because I needed those for my degree. Um, and just having that level of trust and getting to know the seniors and having them come in and be like, oh, this little baby's trying to run this whole department. This is so funny. Like, they were so helpful and so kind. They really supported me and encouraged me. Um, but Marinka had to write these reports every couple of months so that like the school would know that I like, here's where I am on track for my hours. Here's the things that I'm doing. They had to fill out like a checklist of like, is like go to communication is like whatever, whatever, like just so that they could see where I needed improvement, what I need, like what we were all doing together um, in the seniors program. And I had them and I was looking for something for you the other day. Oh, I was looking for that essay that I wrote um, that won the award about the dermission and assumption of Mary. Yeah. Um, I only have the draft and it's really shitty. <laughs> so we will I don't care. You receive that. Um, but I was looking for that and I happened to find my copies of her report. Um, and at one point she called me and I remember her writing this cause she would read them to me afterwards. Cause she was so proud of me. She's like, let me read you what I wrote. And it was so nice. And we'd have to sign them cause everyone was deaf around us. And it's not appropriate to be talking in English around people who don't, uh, who can't hear. And so she was reading it to me and she called me an iron fist and a velvet glove. 
And that just like rocked me to my core because when I went there, I was like a little scrawny little kid. I was from a place where I was told constantly I had no value. Like there was no purpose to me being here. I was kind of a failure. And for her to come and see, like she didn't know any of those things. And so for me to just come in as like my raw human um, and for her to say like, oh no, <laughs> like, cause there was some weird stuff that happened. Like I had a problem with one of the seniors was like, a, like abusing me, <laughs> like hitting me and stuff. When we went out, I had like a volunteer who was being really inappropriate. He was an adult. I was not even 20 yet. And he was like telling me I had nice eggs. Like I had to deal with that. I also ran a department all by myself. And she was like, you come in here and you, you sound all like cute and everything. She's like, but oh my God, <laughs> there's an iron fist in there. <laughs> it was like, it's. I was something that I've taken with me for my whole life. Um, they're like, yeah, I'm an iron fist in a velvet glove. Like I might seem nice, very polite. I'm like very malleable, like whatever you need, I can show up and be that person for you. We've talked about that before. I'm a bit of a chameleon. Um, but for her to say that there's like an iron core in there, I was like, I have risen. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like it really changed the way it felt to be on the planet for me that I had this secret iron core that you couldn't really see unless you really got to know me. Um, and so that kind of feels like a little secret that I carried. And when people are kind of like, well, like, what are, what are you as a coach? I'm like, well, I'm very tough love. I'm like, sometimes people describe me as an iron fist in a velvet glove. <laughs> like it will feel nice, but I will like cut you down. Like not for my clients, but like, I'm not a pushover. Right. Um, and that felt really nice. Like that's my love language just being feeling like I'm seen and understood. And like in that moment, I was like, how did you see something that I've never even seen? Um, and it felt so right that I just kind of was like, well, I'm just going to take that with me now. And that's just going to be a a thing that I know about myself. And so I would say Mm -hmm. that definitely that like casual, like, where am I going to spend six months getting my hours in? Like, and I ended up getting hired there. Like it was a whole crazy whirlwind thing for me going like, Hey, like ASL is really fun. I wonder where I can work in ASL. (laughs) Like nailed it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. Okay, this better be a good question too after that. (laughs) Something you couldn't live without. I'm going to go with coffee, obviously, because obviously I'm assuming that I just get to keep my puppies. They're not up for debate. Oh yeah, no. Puppies and husband are just staying. That's just a non-negotiable. I would say the next thing is coffee. I like it. Like I'm like to the point of my raging coffee addiction where I will just drink decaf coffee if I need to. Like, like I have my like regular coffee during the day, but I also like a coffee before bed because I find it very relaxing. I definitely have like a stash of decaf and all the like coffee snobs are like, yeah, decaf, no. You clearly are not addicted to coffee because I would drink it out of a puddle if I had to. Like, right. it's like not negotiable for me. Like it has to go in my body or I just can't like, because I think what it is is it's the ritual like, it's like, cause I have, um, what do they call it? I have like a Chemex. And so it's like a whole, like, you have to make the filter and wet the filter and put the things in and get the, like, like, and I, um, one of Eric's friends had a girlfriend who ran a coffee shop. And so she was like, cool. Like you have to like put in the water and it has to be this temperature and you wait for one minute and it creates the bloom. And like, then you stir the bloom and then you add, so like, it's a whole, like, feel like a chemist, <laughs> like speaking of PhDs, I'm like in my laboratory making my like crack. <laughs> like, I would have coffee once every six years if I had to do oh, that. It makes work. a big pot. So like, oh, okay. 
and then I can enjoy it several times. I was like, I'm having a little bit and of And the anxiety. whole thing takes like, the whole thing takes like three and a half minutes. It's okay. not a big deal, but okay. like it feels, it feels nice to set aside that time. And I do it slowly and like the dogs are around and we're all having fun and it's part of our ritual. Um, and then also I get to enjoy the coffee, but like, I don't finish most of my coffee. So I feel like it's probably mostly, I like the ritual of like self-care because I'm the same as your mom. I'm kind of like, go, go, go all the time. There is no rest until everything's done. And I can always find something that needs doing. <laughs> like, And if I don't have anything, I will call, I will like call you and be like, Hey, like, do you need, remember that thing you said you needed help with? Do you have time to work on that now? I have a whole list, right? If you, so, if you need me to just send you a list of things that I can constantly awesome. need help with. <laughs> But yeah, so I feel like, I feel like the coffee is more about taking a pause to do something nice for myself that I'm going to enjoy. Um, so I think that that's something that I can't do without is like granting myself those three minutes of like, you can, you can do three minutes to get yourself through the day. I'll <laughs> allow it. Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yes, that makes sense to me for you. <laughs> <laughs> over my adulthood that I actually very literally can't live without theater music. Like I need that creativity in my space in some way, all of the time. I like sought it out in ways that I never thought I would participate in, like during the Coco Roro, like to be watching so many virtual things or to be, um, you know, and to not have that, like, you would think that would keep you from having this kind of live energetic experience. And I know that I've heard from a lot of people that that's true, but actually for me, it was like thinking about like, where is everybody else sitting? Like, is everybody else in their comfy pajamas with like popcorn and a drink? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it kind of made me think about, um, you know, when you're in a theater together, you can all know, like everybody's last hour and a half of their life looked a little something like this, but Mm -hmm. like to think about, I could still feel everybody that was, you know, on that with me, or sometimes when you're on something live and you can see like the number of people that are on or whatever, and you're like, there are 400 other people watching this with me now. That's like, you know, um, I, so that like just travel in general, like getting out of my own personal space, but something I wouldn't have probably connected with, um, the way that I have, if COVID hadn't happened was that I, remembered how desperately I need specifically like the woods, like forest nature, Mm. because clearly I live where there are beaches. I don't live near the beach, but I live where there are beaches. Um, There are places that I could go that are in the mountains. And those are not my places. Like I very specifically need being in the woods, Mm. like where I grew up, that Mm. space and time in nature. And quiet. Um, I always thought that I was kind of a high, like noise tolerance, and turns out that I'm not. Um, (laughs) turns out that was a lie. So (laughs) two truths and a lie. No, it was all a lie. (laughs) I did not. That was not not how you play that game. (laughs) Um, this literally makes no sense. This absolutely came from me. Um, 
it literally just says the words shoes and socks with a question mark. I believe this is speaking to the fact that I do not care for not being barefoot. Mm. Um, barefoot all the time. I am barefoot any place I can get away with being barefoot. Mm. I do not like feet prisons which is hilarious because for a majority of my life, I have been obsessed with shoes. Like for a very long time, like, like I have earrings now that I'm like, I love that because it's a piece of art. That's how I feel about shoes too. Mm -hmm. But the more that I dug into foot health and how our feet need to be, um, I started doing you know, the things that I needed to for my feet. And I, I have always liked being barefoot best, like growing up, I was barefoot places. Most people wouldn't be barefoot. Like I just don't like wearing shoes and socks, but I was very obsessed with like having a fun shoe or an interesting shoe or whatever for a long time. And now I'm just not anymore. Um, because they make me sad. That's fair. (laughs) That's fair. But also my feet look like I go barefoot all the time. I mean, you know how it feels to have runner's feet. Like mm-hmm. I haven't run runner's feet. <laughs> right. Like I haven't run in four years. My feet look like I still run mm-hmm. because I go barefoot, which is how my feet looked before I was a runner too. So like mm-hmm. they're not, it's not pretty. <laughs> it makes sense. It makes sense though. I think for me, like I I have a lot of sensory issues just with my body. And so I don't like skin exposed. Like Mm -hmm. I much prefer to have long sleeves. Like you'll find like in the summer, I wear cardigans a lot, like until I can't bear wearing them anymore. Um, Like I prefer leggings to shorts just because they're longer, but they still breathe. And so like, I definitely feel like I need to have socks on. Like there are maybe 10 minutes between when I wake up and when I have socks on in the morning. For shoes, like shoes, I, like I'm Canadian. We don't really wear shoes in the house here. And so like for outdoor stuff, um, I have to be really careful because I screwed up my ankle mm-hmm. when I was in my twenties. And so like, I need good shoes with like, cause I can just roll my ankle, like sitting on the couch. It's ridiculous. It's been like that for years now. It's fine. They told me I was going to need a new ankle at some point, whatever. Um, but yeah, so like when I wear shoes, like all of my shoes, have orthotics in them they have for years and it's just like the kind you get at shoppers like I can tell when they go dead because they start to get tendonitis like if I walk more than 20 feet in a pair of shoes without insoles my back goes out like I'm like a hot mess so I would say like socks always just because I don't enjoy this experience of having exposed skin um and then anytime I need to go anywhere with shoes, just because I need to use my back for the rest of the day, <laughs> like, cause it's not like, it's not like a light, like, oopsie, my back we're done for right. it's like a week and a half of like, what are you doing? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Why don't you look at me? <laughs> yeah. So yes. it, it's all out of necessity. I feel like. See though, that is very much a don't judge others by yourself because I have sensory issues and my sensory issue says every single extra thing I put on is another opportunity for something to go horribly awry. Yeah. So like, like, I have like a blanket here because I often have that over my legs, like on the couch, I have my weighted blanket and another crocheted blanket that like, it could be the dead of summer. I could be sweating profusely and I've got my blankets up like this on the couch often with like a dog on the inside. 
like just because like the more covered I am the safer I feel kind of in my environment so it's the same as like I'll always have a sweater on if I can like a big fluffy sweater <laughs> like the bigger and cozier the sweater the better um and that's pretty much how I've lived my whole life yes to those things but no to like a long sleeve shirt and then having mm. to put a sweater on over it. No, no, no. Or that's, like that's a, a t-shirt and then a sweater. Correct. Or like so a nothing like, and a sweater. <laughs> right. So like I will, I will knock down the AC mm-hmm. to wear my like big, like junky house sweater, like longer. Yes. To a blanket. Like I'm great for a blanket, but like clothing wise like on my body like if I move you are not leaving me or like I cannot choose to just leave you like I I could think of nothing worse than somebody telling me I had to wear a sock all day long so like that that would be my sensory nightmare is like that so like but like you call them you call them like foot prisons I consider them like foot sleeping bags where it's like cozy and wonderful (laughs) But like, it's the same thing. Like when I'm sleeping, like I don't just have a blanket on, like I have like a blanket with the duvet. So it's as heavy as possible. And it's not just like on me. It is like crunched up into like a little nest. And I have wrapped myself as tightly as possible into a burrito as I can. Like, and I can't sleep with socks just because they overheat so easily. And I've heard people saying that sleeping with socks actually helps cool you down. I have not found that to be true in my experience. No, I remember you telling me that and I tried it and I, on day Day five, I was like, this is bullshit and I'm not doing it. Yeah. No. Um, so yeah, so like it's everything, like the more, the more fabric I have crushing me, the better. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. how we roll. Um, but yeah, like I often have my my little lap blanket on when I'm talking to clients. Um, and it's because like we're dealing with big important feelings in their bodies. Um, and having that sort of weight really helps keep me grounded and calm. Um, because I feel like I'm a little covered up. I like it. I'm protected. That it's makes sense. Like bag. <laughs> like that makes sense. Oh, geez. One of these just, okay. All right. Let's hope this is a light one. It's probably going to be like your worst existential crisis. Um, what turns you off? Like in a relationship or with like people? <laughs> like talking, I, talking any, to humans or? Right. <laughs> or my, like, to be out of my house. Um, let's say in a relationship and just with people. Okay. I would say in a relationship, what turns me off is unequal effort. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean everything should be 50, 50. Like I read the other day, this really great article about how 50, 50 is not correct. Cause then everyone is giving 50%. It should be 100 and 100. And that will look different for each partner. And that will look different in each season, but everyone is giving their maximum effort. Um, and I really like that. Um, we've talked about it before where my husband and I kind of like trade off seasons of just being a hysterical mess, <laughs> like, which like, it like, I don't know how it just comes in cycles and like, you know, my turn came and I was like, are you done? Cause like, I can feel mine coming on and like my 100% is about to nosedive and mm-hmm. your 100% needs to pick that up. Um, so yeah, I would say that that is like when people like in not even in intimate relationships, like in every relationship where I'm giving 110% and you are giving 50, like I feel that in my soul because I'm very much the administrative friend and it like, I end up having a bunch of functional roles in people's lives. And when they don't need that function, oh, we just disappear from each other. And so that's really, that is something that I've really noticed in my life and I do not enjoy. Um, and like, that's not to say that I don't 
enjoy helping people with projects. Like I love that. That's how I end up in all these functional roles. But like when there's kind of like lots of take and no give, um, that's something that's a real turnoff for me. Mm -hmm. I would say for people like just external relationships, something that really turns me off um, is when people don't make space for me to talk. Like Mm -hmm. not even about like hard things, but like I am very introverted. I do not do small talk well. Um, I really need an invitation to talk about something that I enjoy. And then I need the space to be able to talk about it because I take long pauses. You can't just jump in. I'm not done. Um, like sometimes when I get really excited, I have this thing where my brain will go so fast that I start switching words in and out. And when that happens, I need someone to tell me, wow, you sound really excited. Let's walk that back because it's coming out as gibberish and I really want to know what you're saying. Um, but I tend to kind of attract, I'm, I'm everybody's pet introvert. I, I attract extroverts. And so everybody's kind of like talking over me. And by the time I'm ready to interject in the conversation, we've kind of like swerved somewhere else. And now I'm playing catch up again, collecting my thoughts and kind of getting them together. And so I think it's a real turnoff, um, when I try and jump in and I'm like, I'm ready and I've got this and I, I hop in and I have my comment and either everyone just like glosses over it and no one hears me. Um, or I get to see like one or two things and people are like, okay, like you pause, we're done here moving on. Um, because I feel like I don't get to participate and that sucks. Cause like, I'm, I'm spending all my energy sitting here with you. We found a part where I can interject and I can be a part of this conversation, but because it's at a different pace or on a different sort of frequency or level from you, um, I'm getting disinvited to the conversation. Total turnoff. Yes. To those. I don't care for those either. Um, <laughs> I would say this probably goes across the board too, but I would say like in a partner relationship, um, double standards mm. really bother me. So, uh, wanting me to show up in a certain way, but you then not showing up in that same way. Um, and this is not, this is not a throwing Rob under the bus. Cause he knows. Um, <laughs> but like when we were very first dating, Um, like I had been in relationships, but Rob had like gone out on dates. Mm -hmm. And so he had like, he wasn't dating this person, but they had like gone out to dinner and like the waiter had asked like, oh, would you like to order this particular thing that we're doing? And the person was like, oh no, he won't eat that because it has like melted cheese or whatever. And he's like, And I can remember dating him. It was like very at the beginning. And he's like, that's how well I want you to know me. I want you to know me so well that like you would know that thing about me. Like, and I'm very similar to you in that I collect, like we'll be walking in a, you know, past a store and my friend will say, oh, blah, blah, blah. And then like two years later, when I visit that same place again, I'll buy the thing and like, Mm -hmm. yes. And so like, I naturally would have done that anyway. So like to not even give me an opportunity to see how things would play out. Mm -hmm. But then he never put that effort in to know me. And so like, we're in a 20 year marriage where like I could answer things or I would answer something and he wouldn't even know how to answer it for him. But if I say, he'll be like, oh my gosh, yeah. mm -hmm." Mm -hmm. You know, but like, he doesn't know the most basic thing about me often. Mm-hmm. And some of that 
is because I'm hyper visual, vigilantly aware and very, um, constantly observant. Like I can't not have seen or noticed things, whereas he is not. Mm -hmm. And he has been, we've been apart for a majority of our relationship. So like he wasn't living my daily life with me, but I didn't need to be, to know a thing about him. Um, I would say double standards in generally are a turnoff for me. Um, I would say people excluding other people from spaces Mm -hmm. is a no-go for me. Um, If, if I am in a space that doesn't feel like it would welcome and invite everyone, then I don't want to be in it. Um, That is not to say that there are boundaries and rules in spaces. I want there to be boundaries in the spaces. I want to feel safe in the space. I don't mean anybody that decides they're going to be there gets to break every boundary and come walking in and like fling the doors open and take over the situation or make it uncomfortable and inappropriate for people. But if people are willing to participate in the space, the way the space is meant to be participated in, mm-hmm. then I want people to be able to be there. So not necessarily that there's no place that's like, this is for my, these three friends, but like that I'm talking to a bunch of band moms and a new mom comes up and they just stand there and nobody says, Oh, hi, I'm such and such. Who are you? Come on in. You know, like that bothers me. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, people who just assume that everywhere is for them also is a turnoff for me, meaning that you're not allowed to have a boundary and that you are allowed. So basically anything that feels violating Like, I'm not there for it. Don't try and sneak a thing. Don't try and record me without me knowing that you're recording me. Don't, um, don't take a screenshot of our conversation and send it to somebody else to read what I wrote. Like if I'm in a space with you, I'm assuming some common sense, like boundary (laughs) things, societal boundary things. Um, It's also a huge turnoff for me if you try and set a boundary and you end up with a response that makes you feel like you literally have no recourse in the situation. Um, I don't like adults who have feelings about somebody else saying you're not allowed to do that to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I could literally like injustice of any kind violation of any kind, like having made somebody feel like they are not okay. Like of in any way, like all of that, not okay with me. Um, well, that wasn't the light thing that I thought it would be, but now we are definitely at the end. So (laughs) it's over, Amy. All right, fine. It's over. Okay, fine. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye.